Welcome to Passion. For more information about Passion, please visit us online at www.passionchurch.tv. Now let's join the service already in progress. If you don't know, this is my favorite time of the year. March is by far my most favorite time of the year because I, I don't know if you know this about me, but I am a, a, a basketball nut. Julie just said amen because if you don't understand about me, what you'll understand is basketball for me is different than football. I like college football. I'm not that big in the NFL football. I'll watch it, but college football, I'll watch it when my team is playing. But basketball, I'll watch any game. It doesn't matter who's playing. I'll listen. I'll go watch. Like this weekend, I've been or since Wednesday, I've been calling uh, MC and basketball games. I watched 17 games live this this week. And what I'll do is, when I finish watching them live, you know what I'll do? I go home and watch it on TV, because I absolutely love watching basketball. It is it is one of the greatest times of year. So this is my favorite time of the year because March Madness means basketball all day every day that's just the way I like it and so what you need to understand is that my love affair with basketball began very early on in life I, I can still remember um, I was probably about in sixth grade uh, I went out uh, for basketball I went out on my in, in an Anadarko where I grew up I decided it was the first I'd played baseball all through um, my young years and I decided I was going to go out for basketball and in my sixth grade year I'll never forget this I went out and tried out for basketball they actually had tryouts and I went out and the first practice the coach pulled me and one other kid I, I wished I could remember who the other kid was off to the side after practice after tryouts and he did me a huge disservice because he pulled me off and he said to me you're too short and so I quit. I went home that day, and I quit basketball from then on. I didn't pick another basketball up at all, seriously, until I was a teenager. And I started attending my, uh, uh, my home church in Apache. And my friends liked to play basketball all afternoon on Sunday. And so if I was going to hang out with my friends, I had to start playing basketball. And so I began to play basketball, and I fell in love with it all over again. And I discovered something about basketball. You don't have to be tall to at least be dis decent at basketball. What you really have to be is smart, and in my case, extremely fast. That's the only thing I had going for me was the fact that I was fast. And so that, that love of basketball carried me into college where I played some, and then I, you know, I just kept on loving basketball and participating. Did y'all know this? I was a high school basketball coach for two years. You didn't know that, did you? I didn't say I was a good one. I just said I was a, uh, I was a coach, right? And so I still love basketball to this day. And, and I kind of quit playing because uh, my, my body no longer keeps up with my mind. Uh, you know what that's like when your mind knows what to do and you can't make your body do it? I, I can't get any witnesses in here. But I quit playing competitive basketball when I find myself, uh, found myself trailing the play. You know, like I know to cut them off, but I would follow them to the spot instead of beating them to the spot, and so I had to quit playing. So basketball ended for me. So what I've discovered after all these years of playing basketball and coaching basketball and loving basketball is that, that basketball teaches us some very important life lessons. But in our case, as a church, as believers, this game that I happen to love 
also teaches us some extremely important spiritual lessons. So I want us to look at some of those this morning. And I want us to begin this morning by, by talking about foul truth. Now, let me give you, you know how at a movie you go and they, they do uh, this, this movie is rated and all that. Can I just tell you right now that this word is a hard word. All right, I wish I could come in here and, and, and make you smile and jump and scream and all that, but that's not what this word's going to be at this morning. So I'm, I need to ask you for, for some permission. Permission to speak freely this morning. All right? Will you grant me the permission just to tell you the truth just the way it is? All right? We're going to talk about foul truth. What you need to understand about basketball is this. I, I, I was watching... Um, basketball and heard some sportscasters talking about this and then I came across an article on the internet that kind of spoke to this again. There's a change that's happened in college basketball in particular over the last couple seasons that the sportscasters and the writers are beginning to talk about. I want to read to you a part of this article that I found. It says this, college basketball is streaming towards a crossroads. By the way, I'm wearing a ref shirt. That does not mean you can heckle me this morning. Amen. We'll be appreciated. Don't throw stuff. Alan's already asked permission to throw stuff at me this morning. No. Okay. All right. So college basketball is streaming towards a crossroads. A game once built on speed, passing, and quick movement has become bogged down by ever bigger players focused on physical play. There has been a rash of flagrant fouls and flying elbows this season, which has caused alarm among NCAA and conference officials. Those elbows and one notable face stomping, however, are part of a bigger issue of how physical the game has become, particularly in heated conference games. Don Shea, a regional supervisor of the NCAA basketball officials until he retired in 2008, thinks the game has simply become more bruising. Shea says that post-play has been the focus of, that's the big guy in the middle, by the way, has become the focus of college basketball referees for years. The organization has worked to clean up the pushing and the hard fouls around the basket. What has happened, he says, is that the game has gotten harder to police inside because of the size of players and a too narrow foul lane, among other reasons. The intensity of post-play then infects the rest of the game, and then pretty soon tempers are flaring out on the floor, not just under the basket. Let me prove this to you. I went online. I didn't know they did this, and I found this. They actually keep a, keep a record or keep track of how many fouls an official calls during a season which I find is interesting. So what I discovered is that this season, this, this basketball season so far, uh, referee Curtis Shaw, he's a Big 12 official, has officiated 85 games so far this year. And in those 85 games, he's called more fouls than anybody in the country. He's called 3,274 fouls in 85 games. And then, then it goes on and it tells who's called the least. They had to call of at, le at least 10 games, but the, the, the least number of fouls called was referee Todd Williams, who's officiated 41 games this, this year so far, and he's called 1,472 games so, or fouls. So what I did is I added them all together, and I averaged how many games they'd called over the course of this season so far, and guess what it averages out to the number of fouls they called this year. 75 fouls a game. 
Now, we all know that they don't normally call that many fouls during the game. Last night, during the ladies' championship at Southwestern, the, the officials combined for 42 fouls called during the game. What that tells me is this. Basketball is a physical contact sport. In fact, what I would say to you is that if, if people, I've heard this said before, people say basketball is not a contact sport. You know what that means? They've never played basketball because it is extremely physical. The players don't wear mouthpieces for nothing, especially short guys like me because I was always right at elbow level. And it's an extremely physical sport. And so what I want to say to you is that just like basketball, Unfortunately, our Christian walk and our daily life is a physical contact sport. It's an experience that, that causes there to be contact. Now, Luke must have un understood this. Luke must have understood that if you're going to live a Christian life, that there are going to be occasions when there's going to be fouls. I, I, let me prove it to you. In Acts chapter 24... Verse 16, listen very carefully to this portion of scripture. He says this, And herein do I exercise, my, exercise myself to, always, to have always a conscience void of offense toward God and toward men. In other words, what Luke is saying is this, I actually have to exercise myself. I actually have to work out at this. I have to do my dead level best and try with everything within me to make sure that on a daily basis that not only am I not offended by you, this blows my mind, but I'll do my best not to allow God to offend me either. That's a different concept, isn't it? Luke understood that to walk in a Christian life, to walk in a daily relationship with God and a daily relationship with the people around us, there will be contact and we have to do our best not to be offended. Let me tell, tell you some things about fouls. First of all, the first truth I want to tell you this, the first foul truth is this. Number one, you will be fouled and you will foul. We should expect contact. I, I, I would like to be able to stand up here this morning and tell you that you're going to be able to live your entire life and never be hurt by God and never be hurt by man, but I would be lying to you. You should expect contact. In fact, let me say it to you like this. If you aren't hurting at some point in your life, then the truth is, is you've probably never been living because you are going to hurt somebody or somebody is going to hurt you. Jesus realized that, that fouls are part of life. You know what Jesus says about fouls? They're necessary. Why are fouls a necessary part of your life and my life? Do you understand that unless something resists something, there can be no growth? Let me say it like this. Unless you throw a seed in the ground and it dies... And the dirt resists it. It will not grow. Oh, you know, you know the example. If you see a little egg and a little baby chick is in the egg and you think it's about time for it to hatch, all the other ones have hatched. If you go in and break the egg for the chick, you know what happens, right? They die. Because they need that resistance. And Jesus understood that in order for us to grow and mature and become everything that we should become as Christians and as believers, there has to be offenses in our life so that that resistance causes us to grow. That's why he says it like this. 
in Matthew chapter 18, verse 7. He says, Woe unto the world because of offenses, for it must needs be that offenses come. But woe to that man by whom the offense cometh. In that, word, that passage there, the word for offense, the Greek word, I'm going to blow this all up, but the Greek word for offense there is scandalizo, which is where we get the word or the concept of scandal. That's what offense is. It's a scandal. Uh, some of the, in, the uh, definitions, it means to scandalize, to entrap, uh, to trip up to figuratively stumble or entice to sin, to displeasure, to make an offense, a trap, a stumbling block, to bait, to cause to stumble and fall. And so in other words, what the, we're saying to you is that at some point in your life, somebody is going to cause you to feel like that they've created a scandal in your life. That's not fun, y'all. I wish we could all just get along. But the truth is, is that somebody is going to trip you up at some point. And somebody's going to reach out and foul you at some point. And somebody's going to cause you to stumble at, at some point. You should come to expect contact. But let me just tell you, none of us play the game clean. Yeah, somebody's going to come along and trip you up. But the truth is, whether we like it or not, some of us or all of us are going to cause a scandal in somebody else's life too. Have you ever seen the basketball players that, that when they, somebody's driving to the basket and they just kill them? I mean, they just, boom, they, t they just crush them. And then all of a sudden they throw their hands up in the air and they step back like, I didn't do nothing. What are you calling? You're calling a fellow me? Are you crazy? Uh, Y'all never played with guys like that. But I played with guys like that. They just crush you and then they, I didn't foul you. That's how most of us are. We like to call the fouls when we're fouled, but we never realize that we foul anybody else. I already started preaching hard, didn't I? That's the truth. We just need to understand this morning that we will foul. And we will be fouled. Now, here's the next point I want to make to you. And next truth that I think is so important. Because if that's the truth, and it is, then the next truth is also equally important. And that is this. How you react after the foul is what's crucial. There are basically four reactions that you can have, four options that you can take when you're fouled. And, and I want to kind of look at those just briefly. The first thing you can do is if you're fouled, you can deny it. Oh, you know those guys, those ladies, those people that's sitting around you right now. You know, they get hammered and then they deny it. They never let anybody see them hurt. They never let anybody see them cry. They're, they're strong. They're, they, they man up. They don't want anybody to know that there's any pain in their life. There's never any authenticity or transparency about them. And we never know that they're foul. They always put a smile on their face and you ask them how they're doing and they always go, I'm blessed, too blessed. To, you know, I, I'm just so blessed. I, I can't. And you know under that fake smile that sometime, somewhere, they had to be hurt. You know what I've discovered about people like that? Ultimately what happens is those are the people that after a period of time they've been fouled, fouled, fouled and they don't ever say anything. Ultimately they're the ones that explode and go postal. Or they walk away from the game. And we're all sitting around going, where'd they go? What happened to them? I thought they were so blessed they couldn't stand it. 
They deny it. Some of you deny all the time. Listen, I don't want you to deny the foul. If you've been hurt, you need to tell somebody. The second, the second group of people, this is their reaction. Because I'm talking about those people out there. I'm not talking about any of you. The, the, the second reaction to the foul is this. When we get fouled, we get mad and then we try to get even. Oh, you know these folks. These are the folks that always keep the foul count. Right? Every time they get fouled, they go, mm-hmm, there's another one. And then they start plotting behind the scenes to see, if you're going to foul me, then what i got to do is i got to foul you harder. I know y'all never played with anybody like that either, but let me tell you, there's some folks that play that way in basketball and in life and in the body. They're constantly keeping track and keeping record of what, who did what and how many times I've been hurt and who crushed me. And now, because you hurt me, it is my obligation and my responsibility to come back behind and say, you know what, because you did that to me, now I will do something worse to you. If you talked about me, now I will find five people and talk about you. We just don't understand Scripture. Because scripture teaches us in Proverbs chapter 18 verse 19 that a brother offended is harder to be won than a strong city and their contentions are like the bars of a castle. In other words, teaching us this, if we get mad and we try to get even, not only are the people that we're fouling back in bondage, we're in bondage. And so I want to encourage you this morning that that is not the appropriate action or reaction. If somebody fouls you, the reaction you can take, that you cannot take, is to say, you know what, I'm going to keep track of that and see if they do it again. And if they do it again, then all bets are off and I'm going to cream them back. Doesn't work. I've tried that, by the way. <laughs> not a good way to play. The third reaction is this. The third reaction is we can get fouled. And we quit. Oh, you know, those kind of people, they can't stand the contact of the game. Have you ever, some of you guys and ladies that have played basketball, you, you've seen those folks, they, they avoid contact at all costs. You know, they drive the lane and they get just creamed. And they never drive again. In fact, you look for those kind of people when you're competing in basketball because you know if I can give one hard foul, I've shut them down and they'll never score on us again because they won't go in there anymore. And the truth is, in the body, in our Christian walk, there are people that are like that, that can't handle the contact. And they're totally surprised and taken back by the fact that they're, they're fouled. Get a grip. You're going to be fouled. You're supposed to expect contact. Can I just be really honest with you this morning? I'm sick and tired of people seeing people get fouled and quit. Can, can I just tell you this morning that if you get fouled and you quit, and you throw in the towel and say, I'm not going to play anymore, you lose. And so do we. You cannot win at home by yourself. This is a team sport. Well, I, I got fouled, so I'm going to stay home. I don't like those people, and they don't like me. Grow up. You can't win. You can't score. You cannot gain victory sitting in your living room on a Sunday morning. There will be contact, but get back in the game. Jesus was fouled by religious folks. So will you be. If they fouled him, they will certainly foul us. I'm saying get back in the game. Fouls are part of the game. 
The fourth reaction is this. You can get fouled and you can finish the play. This is the reaction that I want you to have. There's a player in the NBA. His name is Allen Iverson. He's, I think he's about, oh, he might be 5'11". I think they say he's six foot, but I think they're lying. I think he's about 5'11", and he weighs about 155 or 60 pounds. He, he looks about like I do, except he's really good. And um, the, the thing that makes Allen Iverson special over all the other players, and I'll show you some of his videos next week because he cracks me up, but, but uh, the thing that separates him from everybody else that plays the game in my mind is this. At 165 pounds and one of the smallest guys on the court, he can go up for a basket and they can, I mean, just kill him. And somehow, every time it seems like, he has this innate, uncanny ability to finish the play. And what I am calling you to do this morning is to understand that as you live this Christian walk, the people sitting next to you, the people sitting in front of you, the people that you live with, at some point in your game, they are going to hammer you. And I am calling you to learn how to stay on balance and finish the game. Jesus wants us to be able to finish and to score. Call, here's what we're supposed to, be, to do as Christians. We are to call the foul, acknowledge the foul, blow the whistle, and then get right back in the game and score. Jesus said it like this in Luke chapter 17, verse 3 and 4. He says, be on guard. If your brother sins, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times a day, he would have already fouled out in the basketball game. If he sins against you seven times a day and returns to you seven times saying, I repent, then what you're supposed to say is, burn me once, shame on you, burn me twice, shame on me. That's what we're supposed to do, right? No. Jesus says if he comes back seven times saying, I repent, forgive him. Clean the slate. Let him go back in the game. That's what we're supposed to do. The word rebuke there, when Jesus says, if your brother sins, rebuke him, the word rebuke means to charge the brother. In other words, what that word means is to explain to him what he has done. It does not mean when you hurt me, I'm supposed to get up in your face and give you a piece of my mind. No, what we're supposed to do is we're supposed to accept the foul and call the foul and explain to the individual what they've done and then we are to let them get back in the game so that they can score and so that we can score. Now, Proverbs chapter 19 verse 11 says this, The discretion of a man deferreth his anger and it is, it is his glory to pass over a transgression. Let me read that to you out of the Amplified. It says, good sense makes a man restrain his anger. And it is his glory to overlook a transgression or an offense. In other words, can I tell you this morning that when you take the high road and a brother or a sister offends you greatly and you choose to overlook it and keep playing the game and keep allowing them to play the game, that what you are actually doing is you are living in glory. Never stopped to think about it like that before. One of the things I want to tell you out of this truth here is this. You cannot take on someone else's foul. 
Have you ever seen the basketball games? I saw it happen last night. Somebody gets in foul trouble, and somebody drives the lane, and they go to score, and there's a foul called, and the teammate knows his, his partner's in foul trouble, so he throws up his hand and says, the foul was on me. The foul was on me. Have you ever seen that happen? I've seen that happen. Can I tell you, you can't take somebody else's foul. Can I tell you one of the most dangerous things that you can do in your Christian walk is to pick up somebody else's offense. When somebody you love has been hurt and devastated and done wrong, I'm not talking about a situation where, where they, the, the people that said what they said about them was right. I'm talking about when they say something that was wrong, when they lie about them, when they spread gossip about them and they slander them and they, they come against their character. Can I explain to you this morning, as much as you would like to, one of the most dangerous and destructive things you can do is to try to pick up their foul. We talked about this in our little marriage talk a couple weeks ago. Because when you pick up somebody else's foul, somebody that you love, that foul causes more pain for you than it did for the person that was fouled. Did you know that? In fact, I, I, I found this passage of scripture that I've been reading over in my own life. It says, Proverbs chapter 17 verse 9 says this, He who covers an offense promotes love, but whoever repeats the matter separates close friends. So what I am saying to you this morning is this. Don't pick up somebody else's foul. When you see somebody you love, that you're concerned about, that you cared about, that they've been hammered and they've been done wrong, and somebody has contacted them and, and devastated them, you've got to fight with everything that's within you. And I know it's a fight. It's hard. But you cannot pick up that foul for them. Another truth that I'd like to tell you this morning is this. You can foul out. Have you ever uh, met someone who's a foul factory? I've called the Southwestern basketball games now for 11 years. A few years ago, I'm not going to tell you his initials, but House knows him. I, if I, I'll tell you his initials. You can figure it out, House. His initials are MW. You'll figure that one out. I had a nickname for him I never could say over the PA because it would probably make him feel bad. But my nickname for him was Foul Factory. I remember on one occasion he got in the game and within 30 seconds he had three fouls. Yesterday I watched a game and one of the star players within 30 seconds had three fouls. Everywhere they go it seems like they're bumping into everybody. They're like a bull in a china shop. They just crush everybody around them. Have y'all ever met anybody like that in life? Everywhere they go they open their mouth and insert foot. Everywhere they go, they bump in. Everywhere they go, there's gossip. Everywhere they go, there's pain. Everybody they come into contact with, they rub the wrong way. Everywhere they go, they hurt somebody. Have you ever met anybody like that? Do any of you live with somebody? No, never mind. I want to tell you this morning that you can foul out. If you continue to hurt people over and over, well, that's just my personality. You've got to deal with me. No, 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 no. That's your carnal nature. That's not your personality. And if you're not careful, what you do is you foul out. Can, can, I, can I help you this morning? If you foul out, you don't do the team any good. You're disqualified from participating and you can no longer influence the game and you can no longer score and you can never, no longer gain victory. If you foul out, you're disqualified. That's why Paul says very clearly, he teaches us how we're supposed to live. He says in, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24, The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all. 
able to teach, patient, here's a concept, patient when wronged or fouled, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition and if perhaps God may grant them repentance leading to knowledge. One of the types of fouls that you get to call in a game is an offensive foul. You, you, they, there's another term they use for it now. It's called a player control foul. It's when somebody is completely out of control. They're going too fast. They're, not, they're reckless. They, they have no thought for anybody else. And they put other people in, damage, in, in dangerous situations and they run over them and they go, offensive foul. You're out of control. Too many of us are out of control. We let our mouth run away with us. We, read, we let our emotions run away with us. We let our actions run away with us. And when we're not careful, we foul out. And I don't want any of you to foul out this morning. I don't want you to be the kind of person that, that runs over everybody. You don't help the team if you're stuck on the bench. And so I encourage you this morning. To be careful. Did you know that Paul specifically says, I, I hadn't thought about this in a long time, and we certainly don't do this much anymore in the body, but, but we ought to. Paul very specifically teaches us this. If a person is constantly stirring up division and strife in the body, you know what you're supposed to do? Mark them. And then you're supposed to go one step further. Avoid them. Think about that. Maybe we need to hand out face paint during this series. Because if a person continues to foul and continues to foul and continues to foul, you know what we do? We should mark them and say, you know what? They are a spot of, man, this is a hard truth. They are a person of contention and strife, and it is now our obligation as the rest of the team because we know that if they keep fouling, they're going to put the other team on the line. Then what we ought to do is mark them and say, mm -mm, we can't have anything to do with you until you get your game under control. Get your mouth under control. Get that sneering look under. Boy, I'm preaching a hard truth this morning. We've got to learn how not to foul people. Now, last thing I want to tell you is this. In your Christian experience, this is, listen, if you don't catch anything else I'm going to talk about, catch this. This, in my opinion, is the most underutilized truth in the whole Bible. That's saying a lot. Here it is. Are you ready? At some point in your Christian experience, you will most likely need to call in a ref. See, I wish I could say to you that we could go back to the, the kind of basketball and the kind of life we used to play as children. Uh, when, when we were young, we played basketball like this. We just call our own fouls. You foul me, I call it. I foul you, you call it. We're good with it, and we just keep on playing. Listen, that was childhood. It probably won't go back to that ever again. Now, now if we're going to play sports, we've got to call in an official referee because we need somebody to call for us because we hammer each other, right? So what I am saying to you is that that is probably the most underutilized truth in the whole Bible is that when we are fouled, we need to call in a ref. We get fouled and we quit. We get fouled and we walk away. We get fouled and we avoid the person for the rest of our life. When Jesus was very specific 
about how we're supposed to handle a foul. He says, I didn't say this, so you can't be mad at this guy wearing a referee shirt. I'm just telling you what Jesus said. Jesus says that we've got to call in a ref. In Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 17, he says, If a fellow believer hurts you, go and tell him. Work it out between the two of you. If he listens, you've made a friend. If he won't listen, take one or two others along. Don't call your whole cell phone list. Don't send out 942 bulk email about what he's done. Go with one or two people. Bring in a ref. Go, and if he listens, you've made a friend. If he won't listen, take two, one or two along so the presence of witnesses will keep things honest and try again. If he still won't listen, then you tell everybody. Why do we do this backwards? Why do we tell the whole church first? If he won't listen to the church, then you throw him away. No. Jesus says you have to start over from scratch. Confront him with the need for repentance and offer again God's forgiving love. In other words, call the foul. Go one-on-one. See if they'll acknowledge the foul. And if they won't, call in a ref and see if that'll fix this situation. We don't like that. That's uncomfortable. That means, here's the dirty word anymore, confrontation. I'd just rather talk about you behind your back than have to deal with you face to face. Then he goes on in Matthew chapter 5, verse 23 and 24, and he goes one step further. He says, this is how I want you to conduct yourself in these matters. If you enter your place of worship and you're about to make an offering and you suddenly remember a grudge a friend has against you, you fouled them. Abandon your offering, leave immediately, go to this friend and make things right. Then and only then come back and work things out with God. Jesus is teaching us this truth. Call your own fouls, and if they won't listen, bring in a ref. He's saying not only are we supposed to call our own fouls, when we're about to go into worship and we sense that we've done somebody wrong, it's our responsibility, not their responsibility to come to us. It is our responsibility to go to them. And if they hurt us and they never say, I'm sorry, it is still our responsibility to take a ref, go one-on-one at first, and then take a ref and try to work it out. The most underutilized truth in the Bible. There's a second type of foul that occurs in the game. It's called a defensive foul. A defensive foul are those fouls that sometimes you don't even know you did. You know, you're just playing the game, minding your own business, and you find out somebody's mad at you. You didn't even know you did it. Those are defensive fouls. Most These fouls are a lot more common in the game of basketball than an offensive foul. You might get one or two offensive fouls called in an entire game. You get defensive foul after defensive foul. You know what causes a defensive foul? Not moving your feet, reaching, not beating somebody to a spot. You know what that means? They were out of position. Can I tell you this morning that most of us cause defensive fouls and and create defensive fouls because we're out of position. In other words, I'm not going to hurt Max if I'm in the right position. 
if I'm as close to God as I can get and I'm in the right frame of mind and I've been worshiping God all day long, most likely I'm not going to be out of position and I'm not going to hurt him. But have you ever played against one of those players that knows how to lean in? You know what I'm talking about. They go up for the shot and they lean in and they create contact. Can I tell you also that if you're in the right position, even if they lean in, there will be no foul. Now here's the bulk, and here's the, here's the bottom line of the truth. This is, I'm getting ready to, to, to make some of you mad right here, all right? And I understand. Call a foul. Come see me. We'll work it out. We wouldn't be out of position if we would look at people correctly. Ephesians chapter 5. Paul says this truth. Hear me. He says, I regard no man after the flesh. But I make a choice to regard men after their spirit. In other words, he's saying this. I go through my life and when I see you with all of your problems, because y'all got some. And I notice them. That's all right. I got some too. And some of you notice them. Some of you talk about them this afternoon at lunch. I know how it goes. But I have a choice to make. I can either regard you after the flesh and say that's what they're really like or I can make a choice, a conscious decision. Like Luke, I exercise my will and I say, you know what? I don't regard them after the flesh. I regard them after their spirit. And what I understand is that inside of them there is a Christ-likeness that sometimes may be difficult to see. Therefore, I no longer regard them by what they do in their physical body. I now regard them not after their flesh, but after their spirit. Because let me ask you the hardest question that I want to ask you all morning long right here. And I want you to think about this one for a while. What if your destiny and God's provision for your life and God's plan for your life, what if if your purpose and your destiny and God's plan for you is wrapped up in that person that you don't like. What if they repel you? Have you ever met anybody you can't stand to be around for more than eight seconds? Some of you are living with folks you feel that way right now. Some of you are married to folks you feel like that right now. Some of you working with folks you feel like that right now. I know you've never done this, but, but those are the folks that come into your life and you'll cross the hall and tiptoe past their office hoping they don't see you so you don't have to talk to them. Some of them are those folks in your church that if they sit on this side, you'll go sit on this side. And if they go out that door, you'll go out that door. But my question is this. If you regard them after the flesh and you miss what's in their spirit, what are you going to do if God's provision for your life is wrapped up in them? It's awful quiet in here this morning. Listen, I've been chewing on this truth for about three weeks. And I've made a decision in my own life. I will regard no man after the flesh because there's stuff about y'all's flesh I don't like but there's some stuff about your spirit that completes me I'm going to tell you something this morning and then I'm done 
You cannot play this game without contact. It will not happen. People will contact you and, like it or not, as perfect as we think we are, as much as I'd love to think as your pastor that I will never hurt you and you will never be mad at me, the truth is there will come a moment when you won't like me very much. And at that moment, we have to make a decision. Will I quit the game and walk away for, from it for the rest of my life? Will I go to my own house and hang out there and hope God will show up there on Sunday morning so I don't have to listen to that crazy little white boy? Or, see, because see, some of y'all think I glow in the dark all the time. Y'all do. Y'all think I'm holy all the time. Y'all think I'm per I think, I hope you think that. No, I don't. No, I don't. I'm playing. The truth is I have as many hang-ups as you do. You know what sets me apart when we come together like this? The anointing that's in my life. That's it. You know what sets you apart? Your anointing. I want to pull on your anointing. I don't want to pull on your flesh. I want to pull on your anointing. You should be trying to pull my anointing out of me. That's what we, we've got to regard one another after the spirit, not the flesh. Blow the whistle, call the foul, acknowledge it, bring in a referee if you have to, and then get back in the game. That's the only way we win. Let me say this. The Bible says very clearly that there is an anointing, a blessing that is commanded in the place where there is harmony or unity. So if that's true, then can we follow that to its logical completion, which is that if there's disharmony, there can be no blessing? And so my question and my thought is this morning, how many of us live a life with no blessing, an unblessed life, because there's no harmony? I thought about this. I, I thought about the L.A. Lakers. I'm not a big Lakers fan. But I thought about show, uh, Kobe and Shaq, how incredibly gifted they were and talented. You know, they could have had a dynasty. They could have probably won, oh, I don't know, maybe six, seven, eight championships. But they couldn't get along. They didn't like each other. If you, don't think, if you think they liked each other, go listen to, after you uh, clean it up a little bit, go listen to Shaq's rap about Kobe that they put on YouTube, and you will understand they did not like each other. And because they couldn't get along, it didn't matter how talented they were, there was no team chemistry. And what I've discovered is it's not always the most talented team that wins in basketball. It's those that have chemistry. And I'll tell you something this morning. We are blessed we are one of the most talented, creative groups of people that I've ever come in contact in with my whole life in church. But if all we are is talented and we're not in relationship and in harmony, there will be no blessing. Don't regard me after my flesh. Regard me after my spirit and I'll do the same for you. Stand with me this morning. This is not a shouting, screaming, dancing message this is where it's real I just preached to you a real message what do you mean see what's the difference between a real message and a fake one well a real one you actually have to live it out
Let me ask you a question this morning. Who's going, whose face is in your head right now? <laughs> Let's get real, real. Whose face is going over in your mind right now? Because I got people's, I don't know what's happening in y'all's mind, but I, I'm, I'm multitasking right now because there's a scroll of people's faces going, none of them in here, by the way, that are just going across my mind right now. People that I think, man, they fouled me. They fouled somebody I love. I don't like them very much. I don't like their flesh. They're, they're a bull in a china shop. They're, everywhere they go, they hurt people. Y'all not doing that, I know, because y'all are holy. But, but I'm just, I just got this slideshow going on in my mind. Who's going on the pages of your mind right now? Can I tell you what has to happen? Blow the whistle. Call the foul. Let them back in the game. And if they won't listen to you, Father, this morning, this is a hard truth. I know this is a brutal truth. Brutal. But your word says that truth will set us free. And I think that that even applies to truth we don't like. Father, there are folks standing in here that have been denying the foul. I pray that the hurt that they've experienced from their father, from their mother, from their brother, from their friend, from their spouse, from a classmate, from a, from a co-worker, from a pastor, from a Sunday school teacher, from a youth worker, from a boyfriend, girlfriend, God, if they're hurt this morning, I pray that they would quit denying it. I pray that they would get over the anger and quit trying to foul them back harder. I pray that they'd quit keeping track. And instead, I pray that instead of quitting and going home and never playing again, I pray that they would take the foul, adjust themselves, stay on balance even though they've been knocked off course. And I pray that instead what they would do is they would now have the strength and the ability to finish the play. Score and win. God, here's my prayer this morning. I pray that the people standing under the sound of my voice, if they've been fouled and they've been hurt, a scandal has erupted in their life then I pray that we would honor your word and we would become so sensitive to our own fouls and to the fouls of others that we would blow the whistle, we would go and talk about it, and we would bring in a referee if we have to. And we would live up to the truth that you called us to live to. God, I pray that you'd give me Jesus' eyes and I would quit regarding people according to their flesh. And when I come into contact with other believers, they may not hold a, mic a microphone and they may not be in the limelight and nobody may know their name, but they may have the, my destiny and my purpose wrapped up in them. And even when they found me, God, I pray that instead I would regard them after their spirit.
blessings would flow out of that. And Father, finally, I ask this, the faces that have been playing through our minds. I pray that before we come back together next week, we would deal with those folks. We'd quit avoiding them. But we would deal with them. And I'm praying that you would restore relationships. We would lay the offenses down. And we would become teammates once again. And out of that chemistry, great victories. and I want you just to think about those folks for just a moment. And as you think about them, I want you to see if you can begin to regard them after their spirit rather than their flesh. It's been a privilege to have you join us for this time of ministry. To find more Passion resources or to make a donation online, visit www.passionchurch.tv. Remember, you can't live without passion.